Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio, a podcast where we have fun talking about video games and video game music. I'm Mike. And I'm Ed. And we're here to talk to you about our favorite run and gun video games and the soundtracks that bequeath them. This is a long time coming, man. I felt like doing this episode maybe when we started doing the show two yeah, years ago, yeah. and we just never got around to it, so huh, here we I are. wonder why. Well, we did Contra. We did a whole episode on Contra. True. And so that kind of got all our run-and-gun juices out of our system or flowing or whatever. And so doing another run-and-gun episode so close to that just felt like it was too much too quickly. So this is a non-Contra run-and-gun episode. If you want to hear some Contra music, please go back and listen to our all-Contra all-the-time episode. Because I think we covered almost every single game in the series All of the Contra. Anyhow, so uh, let's get into our Pixel Chat segment. We've got a lot of really cool questions today to get to, and then we'll bust out with some music. So, what is our first question? Our first question comes from Emily, also known as Keyglyph, and she asks, Ed, you mentioned in episode 5 or 6 that you recorded VGM soundtracks to cassette tapes when you were a kid. I have to know, which ones? And did you ever tell your friends you were doing this? The original soundtracks that I recorded to cassette were Sonic 2, Sonic 3, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Sonic 3D Blast, Sonic Adventure, yes, I am a Sonic fan, Echo the Dolphin, (laughs) Echo the Tides of Time, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Tournament Fighters, the Genesis version, and Pokemon Gold. Wow, no overlap with my tracks whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, First off, hi Emily. Uh, Emily is uh, co-host of the amazing VGM Jukebox video game music podcast. I love their show. They are totally rad, so give them a listen if you can. Alright, so to answer the question, uh, and this is just like the tip of the iceberg, because this used to be like my hobby, recording video game soundtracks. (laughs) Super Adventure Island, Phalanx, Super EDF, Super R-Type, Battle Clash, Spider-Man, X-Men, and Arcade's Revenge. I mean, when I heard that Tim Fallon yeah, soundtrack, yeah. it was like, I don't care about the game, I am recording this. <laughs> um, the Super Scope 6 soundtrack, Extra Innings on the SNES, Super Castlevania 4, Space Megaforce, Mario Paint, and then I had a separate cassette full of original compositions that I made in Mario Paint. Oh my god. Uh, Turtles in Time for the Super Nintendo, the first Ninja Turtles Game Boy game, Dr. Mario on the NES, Sonic 2, so I did have some Sonic in there. Final Fight, Shadowrun on the SNES, Wanderers from Yeez 3, uh, a ton more. When it started getting up to like the Red Book audio games with Sega CD and all that stuff, I would convert those to cassette so I could listen to them wow. on tape in my car with my headphones. Okay, then. Uh, so I didn't have to talk to my parents and my brother. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's just... I didn't have any regular albums. I never listened to regular music. So it was all VGM all the time. That was that was my music. So All VGM all of the time. Yes. Thank you, Emily. That was an awesome question. All right, so she asks a second question for Mike. So she says, Mike, you mentioned that you would pop in NES cards like Fester's Quest just to listen to the music. What other games had such awesome tunes that they similarly compelled you? The NES carts that I would put in just to listen to the music were Tecmo Bowl and WCW World Championship Wrestling. In fact, the title screen music from Tecmo Bowl is the first video game tune I remember being addicted to. I love that music too. That was yeah. really cool. No, Tecmo Bowl cool is track. great music. That's a great question. I had a lot of difficulty picking games for this. And I went through my collection and I'm trying to think because as time has gone on, I've come to appreciate the games from more than just the music in a lot of ways, but the three or four that I would say really kind of were games that, at least back in the day, I used to pretty much just play just for the music were Blaster Master, Astyanex, 
Bad Dudes and Spider-Man X-Men Arcade's Revenge. Okay. It's just like good choices off, all around. I off think, the top I think of I had head. the Astyanax soundtrack too that I recorded to tape. Yeah, it was good stuff. Yeah. Blaster Master especially. Bad Dudes more like nowadays. Like when I put in Bad Dudes now, I pretty much just put it in just to listen to the music while I punch a bunch of dudes. You like putting bad dudes in? Yeah, yeah. I like putting bad dudes in my in my system. <laughs> <laughs> but Blaster Master was definitely one of those ones that I had growing up as a kid, but like I just, I was so bad at the game that like I just came to appreciate the music more than the game. Thank you very much for the questions, Emily. So Emily also mentions something really funny that it just kind of threw me back. She she sent us a, a really big email, which which was uh, which was really cool to read through. But one of the things that she mentioned was being embarrassed to tell people that she was listening to video game music. <laughs> I have a story about that as well. When I was in high school, um, I would listen to all sorts of stuff. I was really big into like Metallica and um, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath. Like I was getting in the metal, but I still had this weird, awkward appreciation for video game music that I knew nobody else really had, or at least nobody that at the time that would share something like that with me. So I'm walking around high school with my discman with my like cd player <laughs> and a pair of headphones and just walking the halls listening to like anything really but specifically i remember symphony of the night the castlevania symphony of the night and i remember listening to that and one day i dropped it uh like i dropped the cd player and the cd popped out and it shattered like it snapped oh, it snapped in half man and i was more concerned with scooping up the remains of this CD, so nobody and, else so saw nobody it. Saw it <laughs> then, then you know, being like, "Oh man, you know, like one of my favorite soundtracks broke." Like, no, I was just like devastated that people may see what I was listening to. Because I mean, you're in high school, like you don't, yeah, you know, yeah. something like that could like scar your social status for life. So it's like, I don't know. I was really concerned about that, but yeah, like people would listen, ask me like what I was listening to, and I had to be like. Um, Metallica? Uh, Ride the Lightning? Yeah. Well, uh, and it made perfect sense because I was walking around with a Metallica t-shirt, but, you know, I yeah. was listening to video game music. I don't think I was ever really embarrassed about it. I just, I kind of understood that it was a niche thing and that nobody else was into it, so I didn't really go advertising it. Right. My brother was into it, not as much as I was, but we had we were able to share video game music between ourselves. Right. So it wasn't like I didn't have anybody to talk about it mm. with. And then in high school, I was definitely like all grungified, so uh, I wasn't really listening to too much VGM back then. Mm. So I didn't have to worry about that. But Word. Yeah. So I don't know why, but you've got eyeliner on in this situation. No, that was my goth phase. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then and then you've got like really long like like flippy hair. It's like flipping to the side. And okay. That was you're accurate. just like I, I just picture you like pressed up against like somebody else's car and you're just like, man, I do what I want. And then you just like break <laughs> a window. You'd be you'd nice. be like a, a, a punk that people that like Cody would beat up in Final Fight. Like a grunge punk. Yeah, you'd be a grunge punk. Okay. You'd be two P. No, man, he's he was all punk. He was like hip hop punk. Okay, all right. Yeah, there weren't really any grungy guys. All right, you could be you could be poison. Fair enough. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, all right. So let's get on to our next question. <laughs> Thank you again, Emily, for those awesome questions, and uh, keep them coming. Now, this one is from our pal Vasily Boshkov, and he asks, "Do you remember 
any romantic locations from video games. For me, it was the place under the railway bridge in Half-Life 2. You're sitting on those rafters, very, very high, somewhere many feet under you, you see the sea, you see the waves, it's so beautiful and calm, just calm noise of waves, rare sounds of seagulls, and even more sounds of the train that goes from time to time somewhere above you. Just you in that height, calmness, your rewarded moment of stillness after fights with zombies and soldiers. Just everything, the whole world is somewhere far away, and nothing will bother you. Aww, little kitty cat face. Uh, Emoji. I, I just, the whole thing with him talking about, like, what romantic locations do you remember? I remember Half-Life 2. Like, <laughs> it's not what you would think, no. though. It's such, that's such a depressing-looking yeah. game. <laughs> But no, I, I think I remember that area, and it was it was pretty cool. So what would you have picked for this? Oh, man. I would say, lately at least, the Super Nintendo Waterworld game, specifically that map area, when you're cruising around on your ship. Okay. Oh, my God. That song is just... Actually, it's funny. I, I just went to a bonfire last night, and uh, me and my buddy Brian, who was on the show previously way back on, like, episode... What was it? Four? Five. Five? You always say that. I, I know. Say five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> chilling, hanging out, listening to a bunch of New Jack Swing and like freestyle music and stuff. And I was like, yo, I'm gonna turn this down a notch. I was like, yo, put this song on. And he, and he put Waterworld, the, the map area, and everybody who was there, especially the people who don't listen to video game music were like, this is a really good song. And I was like, yeah, it cool. is. Yeah. It's just so chill and... Video game music is awesome, especially when it can have effect on people who don't listen to video game music. Yeah. So that's really cool. One of these days I'll play that song on the show. So for me, I guess the most recent memory of a romantic location in a video game is uh, Uncharted 4. Because I, I don't want to spoil too much, but eventually during the game you end up adventuring through this location with your wife. And so there are several locations, like you're going through this, this big jungle-like area on an island, and there are these alcoves with waterfalls that, that flow over like huge rocks and just drop off of cliffs, and just, you know, giant outcroppings where you can look out over the sea and the ocean and the sun is setting. And so you could just imagine kind of just, you know, you're searching for people that might be getting killed by the bad guys and you're like searching for them, but you can imagine just like hanging out and and making out while your, friends out are, and making while, out while your friends are getting killed somewhere else, <laughs> you know, having a nice little romantic evening. So yeah, that's that's probably my most recent romantic location in a cool. video game. All right, next question. Thank you, Vasily, for that question. Next question is from our good friend Cam Worma. Hey guys, I'll try not to go too far off the rails with this one. Ha. <laughs> when people talk about games that haven't aged well, I tend to get a little confused as it can be tough to pin down what this actually means. Games that fall into this category seem to be games that were graphically interesting for the time, but are perhaps too awkward to even look at today. Or maybe they're games that introduce some kind of innovative mechanic that amidst today's games just feels clunky and primitive. I've also noticed that they all seem to be post-16-bit era, almost invariably, which sort of makes sense. Other than that, there doesn't seem to be much rhyme or reason to it. I was just wondering what you guys think contributes to a game not aging well and thought maybe you could give an example or two. Thanks and keep it up. PTR is pretty okay, I guess. Well, thanks, Cam. Good God. <laughs> I don't necessarily agree with his statement that it's all post-16-bit era. I think there are plenty of pre-16-bit games that haven't aged well. My definition, or what it seems to mean for me, is that 
there are games out there which may have innovated a play mechanic or a genre of game, but then was improved upon by those who came afterwards. Like, they weren't shameless clones. It wasn't like, oh, I'm trying to be this game, but I'm failing. Mm -hmm. For instance, like Renegade on the NES. Okay. And then you have Final Fight on the Super Nintendo. That makes Renegade not age well because right. it's the same play mechanic just done not nearly as well as Final Fight right. did it. Or the first driver, which at the time was like the pinnacle of technology. Really cool physics, driving through an open world city. But then now you've got Saints Row, you've got GTA V, right. you've got all these amazing games that are essentially the same play mechanic, all based on that first game. And then you go back to Driver now and you're like, wow, why am I playing this when I could be playing something in the same vein but 20 times better so those are two examples i have of games that haven't aged well and yeah why. you could approach it on like a graphical level yeah which yeah. I would graphics say, are not as big of a deal for me as most people so yeah. that's why i stayed away from that i would probably say that the 32-bit era like the playstation era n64 type games um a lot of those games didn't age well like visually early polygons yeah, yeah well like driver that's a prime example exactly yeah i mean it's early polygons and you know visually i think there's less of a charm that i think we can appreciate i would personally say at least on a gameplay level that even though games like tomb raider and resident evil have like tank controls and those really haven't aged that well especially when you compare it to modern day games it was still hugely innovative at the time um, my big thing is games that I didn't grow up with or game or an, an era of gaming that is just too far gone for me. Uh, so I would say a lot of the early stuff like Atari 2600, uh, ColecoVision and television, all that stuff is too old for me. Yeah. I just, I can't play it. Yeah. Like I owned an Atari for a short time and I just couldn't get into any of the games. There was nothing to motivate me. Yeah. And back then... It was more about a visual revolution than actually like mattering in terms of what you were doing on the screen. Like, yeah, you were changing things on the it screen. It was a novelty at that point. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, back then it was more about scores than finishing Yeah, practicing, something. and it was a more of a group activity than just sitting right. there trying to do it by yourself. Exactly. So that's understandable. Yeah. And, you know, like, I had an Atari 2600 when I was a kid before the NES was out, and so I would play with my dad and my grandfather and my brother, so we did have kind of a team atmosphere and competed for scores and played together and right, such. So right. that's why I have more of a fondness for, like, the old 2600 than, uh, than you would. Yeah. For sure. No, definitely not. <laughs> All right, we're going a little bit long. We got one more quick question. We'll start with the music. This one is from Jeff Leppard. Hey, guys, did you play any of the classic Sierra games on PC back in the day? If so, which ones stood out for you? If not, you bring shame to your family. <laughs> well, Jeff, I'm bringing shame to my family. I did not play any Sierra games, but before you come at me with the torches and pitchforks, it's simply because I didn't have a computer or any sort of system that was capable of playing those games. Uh, I had a Mac an old Macintosh SE that we had forever and ever and ever. I didn't get an IBM PC compatible until like 97, 98. By that time, Sierra was already moving into the action game territory and my Windows 95 machine was more for playing those kind of games and I didn't even know the other ones existed. I did really like Maniac Mansion on the NES, so I could assume that had I had the opportunity to play those kind of games that I would have enjoyed them because I do like those kind of games nowadays. Mm. Uh, so I actually do have one. Uh, my first PC was an IBM Aptiva, 
And the game that I spent a ton of time with, aside from like Doom and Final Doom and all that good stuff, was The Lost Mind of Dr. Brain. I don't think I've ever even heard of that. Oh my goodness, I love it. It was the third Dr. Brain game, and it came with my computer, because back in the day you could buy like packages and they would come with basically CD-ROMs full of PC games. Yeah, 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 demos and, and stuff. This was the game that I got initially really addicted to. It's a really cool like puzzle game, and it, it it's kind of like an I don't want to say an edutainment game, but it kind of is. So yeah, really good stuff. Speaking of which, for people that do have kids that are listening to this show, I've been playing through the Pajama Sam and Putt Putt games with Logan, my five-year-old, and he's absolutely loving it. And they are a perfect gateway game into like the LucasArts, Maniac Mansion, Day of the Tentacle right. type stuff. Uh, lots of cool problem solving, very, very fun games. So cool. if you want to get into those games or get your kids into those games, those are a great a great way to start. All right, so that is everything that we have to talk about, correct? Goodness, yes, we are Sheesh. good. So let's start off with the music. This is our first pick, Mega Turkin on the Sega Genesis. This is stage 3-1 by Mr. Chris Holzbeck. That was Mega Turrican on the Sega Genesis or Sega Mega Drive, whichever you prefer. Stage 3-1 is the track name, and that was by Mr. Chris Hulsbeck. Yes, sir, and that was developed by Factor 5, published by Data East in North America and Sony Imagesoft in Europe. 1994 was the release. And it's funny because this game originally was developed for the Genesis and Mega Drive, but... They made an Amiga port for it. The Genesis version was supposed to come out first, but then for some reason they couldn't get publishing rights or they, they couldn't find a publisher for it. So the Amiga version ended up coming out like two years before 
Mega Turrican eventually ended up coming mm. out. A lot of people mistakenly consider this game a port of the Amiga game when in fact it's actually the other way around. It was developed for the for the Mega Drive Genesis. Mm. So this is one of your favorite and like first Genesis games, right? Yeah. This was the one of the first games that I bought for my Genesis. I just remember putting it in and just being wowed by the music. Like very like the very Absolutely, first thing yeah. was the music that I noticed right off the bat. And and this was back in the day when I worked at a game store, so picking up a Genesis was just kind of one of those things that I've always wanted to do. I kind of had to get over my Nintendo fanboyism. <laughs> and once I did, I said, you know what? Maybe Sega's not that bad after all. And I picked up a Genesis and definitely this Mega Turrican track just totally fell in love with the, at least the first two levels, definitely. Uh, just really awesome, like 80s vibe. This track in particular, just really awesome, just Japanese sound to it, Japanese action music that Mr. Holzbeck was going for. So I quite enjoyed it. I thought that it was 80s enough that even though it was made in the 90s, you could tell that it was developed with that 80s mindset, you know, just like really high-end synths and tight, snappy percussion. Just really good stuff. Totally. I love the drums in this game. It's so heavy. That snare is just great. The bass is like this kind of a FM, slappy bass, funk amalgamation. This is one of my favorite Genesis soundtracks of all time. And I hear people compare this one a lot to Super Turrican because they're essentially the same soundtrack with a few differences here and there. Okay. I gotta say the Mega Turrican's better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Super Turrican has its merits, but no, I, it's, it's too lighthearted and cinematic sounding. We were talking about this yesterday. Yeah. It's just, it feels like it was composed for the Genesis, which being the fact the game was developed on this system, you're hearing it the way it was meant to be heard. Right. But yeah, especially in this one, I just, the, 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 that bass line just permeates throughout the whole thing. It's nice and fast paced. It matches the pace of the game extremely well. And Holzbeck just has this kind of trademark Turrican sound. You know, he has other compositions on other games that sound very different, but this, you can you can hear a Turrican tune, you know it's a Turrican tune right. when you hear it, regardless of whether you've listened to that song or not before. Very true. I will say that the characters and the story in Turrican never intrigued me. I don't know what it is, I, I just... It's the machine. Yeah, it's just... It's, it's really, it's kind of a side thing to the game. You know, the game is all about the gameplay. It's just, there's a giant race of aliens that are taking over planets, and you, as Bren McGuire, uh, don your Turrican suit and destroy all the baddies. I mean, right. there's nothing really to worry about in terms of story. Yeah, that's the kind of the thing with these games is, even though a lot of them do a lot of packing in of story and characters and all that information, it, it kind of goes by the wayside because these are very easy pick-up-and-play games. Yeah, it's basically yeah. just see something moving, shoot at it. And that's the whole point of Run and Gun. So speaking of story, our next game up is Alien Soldier for the <laughs> Mega Drive. This one's a fun one. Uh, this is Runner AD2025 from Norio Hanzawa.
And we're back. That was Runner AD 2025 from Norio Hanzawa from the game Alien Soldier, released on the Mega Drive in the late, late 16-bit era of 1995. Yes. Wow. That's a crazy track. From what I understand, at least in the sound test in the game, the title is Runner slash AD 2025. So what I assume is that that kind of frenetic part at the beginning is called runner and then there's that pause and then it goes into ad 2025 this track was very busy it is and And, hanzawa's tracks are always like that yeah um i thought that this track sounded sounded good though i i like his work it's it's not something i would it's hard to put into words because i don't want to say it's bad i think it's good i just think it's very noisy Mm -hmm. and because I know that you're, you know, an industrial kind of guy. Yeah, but this isn't industrial at all. This no. is this is just very frenetic, like action music. Industrial music has a lot of staccato, grindy percussion and uh, punctuated by huge percussive elements. And this doesn't really at all. There's there's almost like a static wall right. in the background, whether yeah. it's just like an open eye hat that keeps going like. Or what, but it's like it always just feels like there's no rests, there's no time to catch your breath when you're listening to this. Song. Oh yeah, and it fits with the gameplay at least because the game is very action-packed, <laughs> yeah. very fast, and very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Alien Soldier was basically made to be one of the most difficult games available at the time, and um, impressive too. Like in terms of like visually, audio-wise, the game was just it stressed impressiveness. Yes. And actually, uh, at the top of the title screen, (laughs) it says visual shock, sound shock, speed shock. Now is time to the 68,000 heart on fire. Basically, it's it's a bad Japanese to English translation, but what they're trying to convey is that this game is so fast and huge and incredible that it's actually like risking overheating the 68,000 processor that's in the Mega Drive. So they they really (laughs) wanted to to let you know that they were kind of programming this game to be the absolute top most feature-packed kind of a game that the system could really handle. The Genesis wasn't really known that well for having really big sprites. Mm, And this game just had huge sprites and like big booming bosses and enemies and the whole thing especially the main character that you play as just like really like big and bulky and and looks really cool so graphically this game is very visually impressive yeah as far as the music goes though i dig the track i think it's cool but i kind of feel like a lot of hanzawa's music kind of blurs the line and like, if you put this on and told me it was Gunstar Heroes, and me only playing Gunstar Heroes like a little bit, I would be like, yeah, okay, it's Gunstar Heroes. Like, I, there's no differentiation between the two. So, um, speaking of Gunstar Heroes, really quick, there is an absence of Gunstar Heroes. We are aware of this. Do not turn the podcast off <laughs> because there's no Gunstar Heroes. We really kind of toyed with, should we pick Gunstar Heroes or should we pick something a little different? And this was Ed's pick, actually. And he chose Alien Soldier. And I, I think, I, I kind of stand by it, too, because I think it's it's a different track. And from a game that doesn't really get talked about as much, I, I kind of feel like Gunstar Heroes gets pumped up a little bit too much. It's a good yeah, game, yeah. don't get me wrong. It's really fun. It's actually one of my favorite games yeah. of all time. Yeah, yeah. But this game, it came out two years after Gunstar Heroes, and it borrows 
a lot of the same gameplay elements that Gunstar Heroes did. Right. And, you know, back in the day, it's it's a Mega Drive-only release, so it came out in Europe and Japan, so Americans never got a chance yeah. to play it. So if you haven't heard of it, you know, you can grab a repro card, you can grab a ROM, and you can definitely check it out. Because if you enjoyed Treasure's action games in the past, like, you know, Gunstar Heroes or Gunstar Superheroes on the GBA, then this one would be right up your alley. It's really frenetic, really hard. Yes. But you get a whole bunch of different weapons to play with. There's, uh, you know, different gameplay elements where you can hover in midair or, you know, jump onto the ceiling and kind of walk upside down and... Just the bosses are all completely drugged out looking. Every, yeah, everything's yeah. very, very bizarre Very looking. trippy. How about that story, huh? Yeah, there's this huge <laughs> text scroll at the beginning. And yeah. it just mentions lots of characters doing different things, but it never really... I've read it like three or four times now. and couldn't, I can't really make sense of... Yeah. There's like A-Earth and A-Humans and Epsilon and Scarlet and Zytiger, and they're all like... Related Connected. somehow, but the the verbiage in the in the the text scroll just isn't coherent enough for me to figure it out. There's a lot of English in it too, which really kind of butchers it. Yeah. So yeah. it's like you're reading this huge like story, and you're trying to get involved in it, but just like just like I just want to play the game, just hit start. Like I don't know, Norio Hanzawa. Definitely no stranger to the podcast. We played him on Mischief Makers on the N64 episode. He has always, for the most part, been a treasure guy, except for when he was with Konami, which makes sense. I uh, started out in 1989 with Castlevania The Adventure, the very first Castlevania game. I uh, did sound creation on that. Roller games for Konami, Ultra Games, he did sound on that. Quarth, uh, The Simpsons arcade game, Bucky O'Hare, Gunstar Heroes, that's pretty much when he jumped ship and went to treasure. Uh, Yu Yu Hakusho, Dynamite Heady, Alien Soldier, Guardian Heroes, Rakugaki Showtime in 1999, Tiny Toon Adventure Scary Dreams, which is apparently a Game Boy Advance beat-em-up that's going for quite a bit of money. Astro Boy Omega Factor, Advanced Guardian Heroes, Gunstar Super Heroes, Bleach the Blade of Fate, Bengayo Spirits, and he ended on Sin and Punishment Star Successor. He has tons of fans, he has tons of different soundtracks, uh, very, very well known amongst Japanese video game Definitely. Lovers. All right, let's move on to the next game in our little series here. We're traveling back in time to 1990. This one is Heavy Barrel on the NES from Shogo Sakai, Takafumi Miura, Masaaki Iwasaki, Seyush H, Yuji Suzuki, and Yusuke Takahama.
welcome back. That was Heavy Barrel, and that game came out on the NES in 1990. The track was Stage 8, and that was by Shogo Sakai, Takafumi Miura, Masaki Iwasaki, Seyush H, Yuji Suzuki, Yusuke Takahama, and the original version was on the arcade, and that was composed by Azusa Hata and Hiroaki Yoshida. Wow, a lot of people. <laughs> so Heavy Barrel is a NES port, as mentioned previously, to the arcade game, which featured like a rotary joystick, uh, basically very similar to a lot of the games that were coming out back then, basically a joystick that you can use to move eight ways. It's pretty much like a blatant ripoff of the Akari Warriors games, but in all honesty, I think Heavy Barrel is better. Um, it, it actually kind of reminds me of Midnight Resistance in a lot of ways. A little bit, if it with was the top key collecting. Down, yeah. Basically, terrorists have taken over this nuclear missile location, and it is up to you to defeat them. <laughs> That's what a complicated it. plot. I know, I know. The reason why this game gets its name is one of the weapons that you can pick up. It it looks like something. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's a gun. It kind of looks like you're holding a giant, uh... Heavy Barrel was my adult film name, so... Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Just goes hand in hand. Oh, mine was Midnight Resistance. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, the NES port, the one thing I will say that I don't like about it is, as you're playing through the game, you get these keys. And the keys open up treasure chests that you can get different items right. from. The problem is you never really get enough keys and there's like way too many treasure chests. Like if you get like three keys, you're lucky. And there'll be like maybe six treasure chests and you're like, which one do I open? And they all kind of feel like they open the same thing, but occasionally you'll open one up and you'll get this giant gun. You get a piece of a giant gun. Right, yeah. and so that is the heavy barrel right. and you put the whole thing together and then you can just destroy everything. So is it is it randomized? Because I've only played through this, or not played through it, but I played a good chunk of it last night for the first time ever. Right, right. And I was, you know, using the keys to open the chests, but I didn't know, like, if there were specific chests you were supposed to open to get the heavy barrel more quickly, or... Yeah, I'm not sure, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, I'd have to play it a little bit longer. Um, I picked it up fairly recently myself and just really fell in love with the music. The track, I just really love that, like, grooving bass. Just, like, the constant bass line yeah, in that song. Yeah, it's very competent for that yeah. that age of the NES. Reminds um, me a lot of Bad Dudes, and that makes sense because all these composers work on, oh, work yeah. on Bad They're Dudes. They're all Data East guys. Yep. So we've talked about these guys actually quite a bit. Um, Shogo Sakai, obviously, no... No introduction for no him. No introduction needed for him. Uh, the only one that I was not really sure about was Seyuch H, mm. which he's only listed as Heavy Barrel for sound programming. That might be an alias that is just unknown at this point. Yeah, possibly. What's our next track? Next is an arcade title called Outzone. This came out in 1990. This one is called Pump Them with Bullets from Stage 2 by Tatsuya Uemura.
Welcome back, that was Pump Them With Bullets from stage two of OutZone for the arcade developed by Toa Plan that was composed by Tatsuya Uemura. So then you might remember him from both of our Shmups episodes in which we played, uh, I think, Zero Wing on Shmups 1. Right. And then on Shmups 2, we played Hellfire. Right. And he's got a very, got kind a of very a signature distinct, sound. Yeah, he's got a very distinct sound. Kind of like a marchy, gallopy kind of a bass with a bass line that follows along with the drums. Galloping bass. Yeah. I'm in. Very heroic, kind of an uplifting melody. I really like this one. I just like those kind of staccato. Yeah, it's really good stuff. It's like almost like dancey kind of, but mm. at the same time, it's very like prodding. Like, yeah, know, and it, keep going. it's got several different parts to it too. It's not just kind of your standard, you know, marchy tune. It goes into a couple different places. This whole soundtrack is actually really good. Uemura worked with Toa Plan for a really long time, so he's got you know quite a few games under his, his belt with them. Yeah, they actually closed up shop in 94, and then he ended up uh, joining a company called Gazelle, and he did a couple more games, one of which was actually a sequel to Battle Garega, which is a great shmup. Mm-hmm. And that game was called Battle Back Raid. It hasn't really done much since, unfortunately. But yeah, he's pretty much known for that signature, like Genesis arcade type action sound. Yeah, so yeah. It's good stuff. The arcade system that this game ran on used the YM3812. Which you don't find in too many arcade games, but it was in a whole lot of Sound Blasters back in the day, like the Sound Blaster 16. And it was also a chip that is directly related to it, like basically a, a more cost-effective version of this chip was found in the FM add-on for the, uh, uh, the Mark III, the Sega Master System in Japan. Got it. So that's where you're going to hear sounds similar to, to, to this one. Interesting. Um, yeah, the game takes place in 2097. Mankind has basically been invaded by an alien race, and cyborg soldiers need to take them out. I mean, again, we're not looking at really hardcore yeah. kind of storylines <laughs> here. Uh, it's a vertically scrolling game. Lots of enemies come at you. You pick up power-ups along the way. The graphics are nice. They're big and chunky and colorful. Yeah. And Yeah, uh, I didn't really like the colors. They're yeah. really bright colors. Yeah, it, it runs on a, on a 68,000 processor, so it looks very much like you know, that, that Mega Drive style graphics that you might find in, like, you know, obviously the X68000 or other systems that use that same processor. Yeah, it's a shame we never got a port for the Genesis. Yeah, I feel like this would be a shoe-in. It probably would have been a, a pretty good idea for them to do that, but uh, unfortunately never came to be. And uh, there's also a sequel to this game called Fix 8, uh, with 8 spelled like the number 8 instead of just you're fixating on something. Right. Like, like I'm fixating on how to spell this title. Uh, <laughs> and it's not nearly as good. The graphics just aren't up to par. The gameplay was kind of stiff. The music wasn't even as good. So it's one of those rare occurrences where the sequel actually was worse. dropped the ball on everything. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, this is a good game. Check it out. It's playable in MAME. I don't know if it's... I haven't seen it in any other collections anywhere. These Toa Plan games really haven't made it into any console game yeah. collections that I'm aware of. Well, you know, after after they closed up in 94, Toe Plane didn't really get bought out by anybody. It was more just, hey, they went out of business and that's it. Yeah. So you can still check out games like Flying Shark, Tiger Heli, Hellfire, Twin Cobra, OutZone, Dogyun, and of course Zero Wing uh, for just a couple of the main games that 
you know, Uemura did. All right. Hit me with your next track, please. All right. Just well, do it gentle. Oh, well, I can't. That's impossible because this next game is Shock Troopers 2. This is one of your favorites. Oh, yeah, totally. This is my pick. This is Neo Geo and the Wii Virtual Console, actually. That's how I played it. Uh, 1998 was the year of release. The track is called Second Mission, and it's by Masahiko Hataya and Masaaki Kase. And we're back. That was Second Mission, found on the Shock Troopers 2 soundtrack. Uh, That came out originally for the Neo Geo in 1998, and that was composed by Masahiko Hataya and Masaki Kase. I love this track. It's a great track. The soundtrack is incredible. Oh, yeah. No, I... Remember you playing this way back on, I think it was maybe Ed's Picks? Ed's Picks. Yeah, uh, episode 10, and you picked, I think it was a boss battle. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I remember not liking that track as much. I don't know, I think it was that main synth. It was kind of like, wah, 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 yeah, it was you like know? breakbeat metal kind yeah. of track. Yeah, it was, it was interesting, but it made me want to check out the game. And uh, probably about a year later, I picked it up on the virtual console because... I was browsing through the old like Wii Virtual Console. I was like, whoa, wait a minute, Shock Troopers 2. Hmm. And I remember you talking about the game. And then I remembered, wait a minute, what's Shock Troopers 1? So I actually pulled out my Data East collection, which I have on the Wii, 
and I started playing Shock Troopers one, and I was like, this isn't good. I was like, yeah, it was not it's really mediocre. Feeling. Yeah, it's very like there's way too many characters. You move way too slow. I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it. Yeah. So when I saw this game, I watched a little bit of gameplay footage. Was like, you know what? Let me check it out. So I picked it up for like I, don't know, I think less than ten bucks on on the Wii Virtual Console, and it is really good. It's really fun. As far as this track goes, it's really awesome. Like funky, groovy bass good stuff. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Capcom versus SNK stuff a little bit. Yeah. As far as the groove. Yeah. It's it definitely got a lot of that. Well, but. it makes a lot of sense because Masahiko Hataya, uh, otherwise known as Papaya, worked on the actually the SNK versus Capcom game. So if you listened to our appearance on Pixelated Audio when both of our shows kind of went over, we did that double crossover. Right. We talked a lot about uh, Masahiko Hataya and his work with, with SNK and just did tons and tons of games for them over the course of the years he was with them. That makes sense then. Yeah, no, I, I really dug this game and the soundtrack. It's good stuff. Yeah, I just love that bass. And I like how they kind of like pepper in these other instruments that, that are more, I think, not really providing like a deep melody. It's more just like a background for the bass to kind of bounce off. Of. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's got that you know Mission Impossible yeah, keyboard the stab. Like yeah, uh, yeah. my wife and I are right in the middle of watching uh, Alias right now with uh, Jennifer Garner and okay. and that. Like the, this, this song is like identical to like the, the music they play when they're like you know sneaking around oh, and trying really? to take down the Covenant and all that That's that cool. stuff. So, yeah, it's just just a really good track. It's 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 a little sneakier than I guess the game actually is. You know, the game is just straight up run and gun. Oh yeah, you know, you're just walking up to enemies and putting bullets in their faces. Oh so, yeah, it's uh... Uh, this game makes it sound like it might be more like a, a Metal Gear kind of a game when it definitely isn't. No, it's definitely more like Metal Slug infused, I'd say, than the first one. I don't know, the first one kind of reminded me a lot more of like Mercs, which actually a couple yeah. of the game parts like where you're like blowing up like the ships and stuff are like direct ripoffs from Mercs. So did you play Shark Troopers 2 first and then played the first one? Or? Nope, I no, played really? the first okay. one then played the second one yeah so. Because I enjoyed the first one but yeah. I once I played the second one I never went back to the first one because I was like this again opposite of Outzone the sequel yeah. improved on everything all around. Oh definitely and so. I also felt a, a stronger connection with the characters I think that when you're playing through the first one, there's just so many characters, and you don't really... I don't know, like, I just kind of felt like there were too many characters to really connect with. I wasn't and, after connecting with characters, I was just after shooting. Well, yeah, I mean, character <laughs> is less important, but, like, they really tried to stress how many characters there were that you could pick from. And they just kind of all blended together in a lot of ways, but they all remained different enough that... You know, you could play through the game and pick these characters, but they all had different traits. Like, some were slower, some were faster, some had heavier weapons. Like, they were all different in the first game. In, in this game, you only had a choice between four characters. Leon, who's, like, the main character. Angel, who's, like, the female lead. Lulu, who's kind of like the little girl-ish, kind of. And then Toy, <laughs> which... Toy, really? You I know, know, playing with toys, playing. I guess. So, I don't know, I just thought that the character design was a little bit more unique and fresh in this one, and it was a lot more fun. They tried to, I feel like Shock Trooper Second Squad, they tried to have more fun with the game, and I, I think it's overall a, a better, more enjoyable experience. Agreed. And definitely a recommended play by both of us. Yes. All right. What do we get next? Next one, we're changing it up a little bit. This is an Amiga track. This is from Metal Law. And this is the stage one theme from Rudolf Stember. 
And we're back. That was Metal Law on the Amiga. This was the stage one theme from Rudolf Stember, and that came out in 1992. The sound for the title track was actually composed by Chris Holzbeck. Right. This track, though, is, I believe, the first stage music. Yep. And that was by Rudolf Stember. So I, I don't know why they did that. I think what happened was, I mean, I'm just like assuming, but I think they were like, we really need somebody like really big to do the soundtrack, you know, like, yeah. let's just do, you know, let's have Chris Holzbeck do a track. So he did, you know, the title track. And, you know, I, I think that Rudolf Stember does a good job of continuing that Hulsbeck sound throughout the the game. So yeah, I mean, lots of of Commodore and Amiga games back in the day would would do that. They would have a different artist do the title screen music or the loader music, and then another artist would do the in game music. And it might have just worked out to how schedules worked out, yeah. or they wanted a particular sound that one particular composer was better at than the other. In terms of Names and how big you are. I don't know. Back in '92, I don't know. Stembers worked on a lot of stuff. You know, yeah. he started off way back on the C64 in 1989, so he had already been around for three, four years at this point when this game came out. So, and then you know, Holzbeck again. He's a huge name now, but at the time, you know, he was just kind of starting out himself too. So. We're just postulating, I guess, That's here. True. In any case, starts off with this great kind of metal track from, from Holzbeck on the title screen, and then you get these really nice kind of groovy dance tracks for the yeah, levels that, that, that you play through. Synth, that dun, dun, it's not dun, like a house dun, dun, beat dun, dun, to dun, it, dun, yeah. Dun. Yeah, it's good. And then it's it matches stuff. up and gets a little bit darker towards the end and makes a perfect loop back into the track again. The gameplay is pretty simple, so in, in typical kind of Amiga fashion, <laughs> you're getting these really energetic you know, dancey music tracks to listen to while you're playing through these. This game, it kind of plays a little bit like RoboCop, yeah, I would it does. say. I yeah. mean, it even sounds and, and and looks a little bit like RoboCop. The main character, definitely. Yeah. I mean, he's got, like, a red visor thing that looks exactly like RoboCop's, like, visor, but he's wearing, like, pretty much all armor that looks like RoboCop's armor. So. Yeah, and he's out there to arrest punks. Right. And, you know, <laughs> it's like... I mean, the game's called Metal You get little vocal samples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's out around the time where RoboCop was super popular, so they were just kind of capitalizing on that whole idea there. Well, RoboCop was also a lot bigger in the UK anyways, and since this was an Amiga game and the Amiga was pretty much just a UK system for the most part. Yeah. It makes sense. I think that's they're going for the audience that it was designed for. So. Yeah, yeah. The game was uh, developed by New Bits on the RAM. Yes. It's a fun title. I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most recently, Rudolf Stember, he's got so many games to his name. You can't really list them all. But from like the early 2000s, 2003, he was working on the Rogue Squadron games for oh, the Nintendo Factor GameCube. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was a Factor 5 employee. He also did some stuff for Capcom in terms of converting the music for Resident Evil 2 on the N64. Ooh. And even back in the day, he did a lot of conversion as well so he would take uh, stuff like monkey island when they ported it down to the c64 he would take the music from the amiga version and put it on the sid chip so very talented in that respect it does a lot of music conversion original compositions and then international uh, and german voice editing to uh, localize the games to german or other other languages very cool yeah you can head over to www.stember.com if you want to learn more about him he's got an updated site where he's got basically his whole work portfolio and samples of stuff that he's done over the years so it's definitely worth checking out cool 
All right, well, our next game is, believe it or not, Lilo and Stitch. This is for the Game Boy Advanced. The game came out in 2002, and this track is Bug Laboratory by Mr. Robert Baffy. Let's take a listen. Welcome back. That was Lilo and Stitch for the Game Boy Advance. Game came out in 2002, and that track was called Bug Laboratory by Mr. Robert Baffy. I love that groove. Just like, ah, man, just really funky, but at the same time, very chill, laid back. It's 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 also kind of mysterious though because that lead synth that dun, 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 dun. yeah yeah but I I really like the fact that the baseline kind of carries the whole song it's got that overarching sound kind of like Shock Troopers too a little bit in that sense where the bass kind of takes the lead yeah and kind of does its own thing just but those it, little staccato instances yeah there. yeah I feel like this could have almost have been an acceptable track for the summer jams episode yeah last last show yeah that's true yeah. I really like the the fluty kind of sense that kind of fit in a little bit later towards the song. And I like how this song builds too. Yeah. It's got a good loop because it starts off kind of chill with that bass line and those, you know, kind of higher end, like mysterious synths. And then it kind of rolls into this almost, I don't know, it, it like fills out the song really well, but keeps the whole thing very simplistic. I dig it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a run and gun track to me no, at it all. Doesn't. It feels like you know I could see this track definitely appearing in like the first level of Flashback. Like yeah. it feels just right out of like Delphine Software. That that yep. kind of instrument set and the composition feels very similar to that game. This game is great. It is definitely an underrated gem. It's a little easy and simplistic looking. It's like Metal Gear Light. Yeah. Not Metal Gear Light, sorry. It's like uh, Metal Slug Light. Yes, yes, I, I agree. Game is basically a retelling of the Lilo and Stitch story. So if you've seen the Disney animated movie, it's a good Disney movie. So, you know, definitely check it out. But, you know, if you're looking for something like, you know, on the cheap, 
It's like seriously a $4 game everywhere you go. Super cheap, really easy to find in pretty much like any game store. Like yeah, I've yeah. seen multiple copies and nobody picks this game up. So I gave it a whirl and I really dig it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I like the graphics because the backgrounds look like almost like watercolor. Yeah. So it's really cool. Well, it feels like it was all animated and drawn by Disney animators. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It more fits the style of like the, the Lilo and Stitch cartoon series than yeah. the actual movie. Yeah. Um, but they were very similar in looks anyway. So, but yeah, this this one was fun. We think we've talked about Robert Baffey before. Yeah, he's done a lot of licensed stuff anywhere yeah. from Rampage to X-Men. He did the X-Men Wolverine's Rage game, which also has a really good underrated soundtrack. Reign of Apocalypse, he did Rayman for the, I believe, the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, mostly sound design and production. Yeah. Not too much composition. No, not so much. And, you know, he's got uh, a lot of audio director credits for, you know, bigger stuff like Rock Band 3 in 2010, Military Madness, Nectaris in 20... in 2009. So, you know, just for the most part, he works with various different companies. He's worked on everything from Death Jr. 2 to Namco Museum 50th anniversary. So he's just kind of all over the place. But, uh, you know, there's a good chance that he could just be a freelancer and not really have any kind of loyalty to any major company. But, Very likely. Although yeah. recently he's been working more with um, Midway doing like Mortal Kombat, the arcade collection. Right. Um, well, Midway games, because Midway is no longer a thing. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So probably uh, Warner Brothers, because uh, like Warner Brothers, Sony, uh, he did The Amazing Spider-Man in 2012. He was the audio designer on that. So yeah, he's kind of all over the place. Yep. Yeah, good stuff. I don't really have much else to say about it. It's a fun game. I highly recommend picking it up, because again, if you're looking for something cheap to play that's fun, check it out. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. What's next? Next up is a game I don't recommend you pick up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this game is, but it does have good music. This is Realm for the SNES. This is Flying Battleship by Mr. Unknown. <laughs> Mr. Unknown? Mr. Unknown. Okay, then. <laughs> That was Realm for the SNES. That was Flying Battleship, composed by some sort of mysterious being. Mr. Unknown. Mr. or Mrs. Unknown. <laughs> Gotta be gender friendly here. It could also be a female composer. That's we don't true. know. Flare Sound Team was the only credit I could find from this uh, Flare being the developer of this game, in quotes. <laughs> you know, here's the thing 1996 was the release date. And the Super Nintendo was pretty much done at that point. Oh, yeah. So this game, while it does have 
a lot of visual flair. I don't want to. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it, it it's visually a bit impressive in terms of the effects. The lighting effects bouncing off the trees is really cool. I was very impressed by yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, the sunbeams were great. I I think my biggest problem with the game is the cover art lies to you. Just flat out lies to you. You know, you're you're looking at the cover art and you've got this short-haired, like cool guy who's got a gun and he looks really cool. And you start playing the game and you look like a character like a cute character from a Dragon Ball Z game. I, I believe my first impression was that it looked like a fifth grader drew it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it, I don't know. I just it's like I I picked up the game a while back and uh it's actually pretty rare. It's, it's pretty hard to find. I think it's getting up there in price. Why, I don't know, because the game's not really that Probably just good. because of release number. Yeah. And not necessarily because of, like, you know, how many copies were made versus right. know, how good the game actually is. Most likely had a very low print run, especially for the year that it was released. Super Nintendo was done at that point. So I didn't really get that far with this one. I just kind of got bored with it for yeah. the most part. It's, um, you know, and even when we sat down and played played it, quite a bit it's it's just i don't know the the enemies are just kind of meh the level Everything layout is just kind of meh yeah the level layout's meh it's even just even meh. the the weapons that you can get yeah. are like the ad350 or the vfr750 yeah. like they don't even have cool names they're just like model numbers like yeah. they didn't really do anything to try to make it unique make it unique right yeah right. supposedly the game takes place in 5069 Oh yeah, and uh, totally. you're a, you're a biomech cyborg who, of course, has to rid the world of an alien invasion. Of blah, course, blah. it's the, like literally the plot of every single run and gun game right. out there. Yeah, but I do. I really like this track. What really grabbed me is the fact that it's so toe tapping and head bobbing. But there's literally, well, not literally, no percussion. But the only percussion there is is this little tiny snare, like a little yeah. patty pat. But the, the the keyboard and the bass, they're just so in tempo with each other. And especially like right towards the end where the bass gets a little more lively and the, the keyboard melody starts taking off. Like that part is really, really cool. Yeah. And then it loops back into kind of like a more dancey riff after that. Even though it's a dance song, for the most part, it does have classical music overtones. A little bit, that, yeah. It's like chamber music. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good stuff. Like, I, I dig the music in this game. I just, oh, God, I don't want to experience it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's why soundtrack ripping is so good. You can yes. listen to the music or you can listen to this show and not have to worry about playing games it's, like this. This game is like a, it's like a video game colonoscopy. Wow, now that is probably the worst review of a video game I've it's ever It's like heard. you know that you have to do it, but you don't want to. <laughs> but the begin, like the end result is you get pancakes. Oh, I got a Whopper after mine. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. I was hungry. Wow. Anyhow, <laughs> let's move on with our next game. You know what I mean? You don't want to talk about uh, post-colonoscopy <laughs> meals? <laughs> Oh man, pancakes I think we'll are the spare best. our audience the details. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> you mean you did you didn't want to tell them about the time that, you know, we 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 both got joint colonoscopies. Well, they were only a couple days apart. Let's all right. <laughs> <laughs> we were holding hands. <laughs> Anyhow, next game is Metal Slug Advance on the Game Boy Advance. How could we not play Metal Slug? Of course. The game came out in 2004. This is Mission 4 by Denden and Takushi Hayamuta. 
Hey there! Enjoying your summer days so far? Yeah, actually. You know, just lounging in the sun. <sighs> but I wish I had something cool to sit on. I've got just the thing for you. A rocket lawn chair! Wait, what? The rocket lawn chair is perfect for relaxing on a hot summer day! Just sit down on this chair and blast off thanks to the eight powerful jet-fueled rocket boosters! Why would I want to... Don't think about why! Think about when! Because the rocket lawn chair is the perfect way to defeat the hundreds of military goons sent by General Morden! Who? I'm so confused. It's time to drop the confusion and start with the cruising as your rocket lawn chair sends you into battle. I didn't sign up for this. Wrong! Join the pre a green falcon today. Wait, this was just an advertisement for joining a military front? Uh, gotta go. Rocket launcher, do your stuff. Welcome back. That was Metal Slug Advance on the Game Boy Advance. 2004 was the year of release, and that track was called Mission 4 by Den Den and Takushi Hayamuta. So I'll clarify that a little bit. There's a lot of conjecture on the web. I I've seen Den Den credited alongside Takushi Hayamuta. I've seen Takushi Hayamuta credited by himself for this soundtrack. I've seen people consider that maybe Den Den is the alias for Takushi Hayamuta. Okay. Yeah, Takushi Hayamuta obviously is the composer of the original Metal Slug games right. on the Neo Geo. Uh, as well as Super R-Type and Undercover Cops and all those games that we love. Big time um, SNK guy. Knowing his work so well, I, I, this song definitely does sound very much like him. Uh, and most of the soundtrack, at least what I've heard from this game, sounds very much like him as well. So I'd endeavor to say that he probably is the sole composer on this game, but I don't have official word on that. Yeah, I mean, for the most part... He has worked on a lot of different stuff, but he is... is Neo-Turf Masters. Yeah, Neo-Turf Masters. Soundtrack. Yeah, he's kind of the Metal Slug guy, though, for the most part. I mean, when you think about Metal Slug, you think uh, you think of him, so... I, I really love the Super Nintendo guitar and how it just, like, pulls in, you know, the... Yeah. Like a guitar slide. This was done really well. Yeah. Um, normally, I'm not one for SNES guitars. I mean, this isn't really SNES, it's GBA, but it does have yeah, that sound enough. to it. Yeah, But it sounds just a little more clear and a little more gritty, I think, and not so overdriven like the Mega Man X series. Yeah, true. For this game, you play as Walter Ryan or Tyra Elson. This is actually the first Metal Slug game where you don't play as Marco Rossi or any of the returning Metal Slug characters. You know, character was never really a big thing for me as far as Metal Slug goes. I think the characters are just kind of goofy looking overall. And so I think that these two characters are unique enough there. First off, they're new recruits. So the whole plot of this game... Yeah, they look very young and kind of nondescript. Right, yeah. No, they're definitely younger looking characters. So the whole point of the game is a new camp has been set up for new trainees uh, for the Peregrine Falcon, which is the Metal Slug group. It's the good guy army. Yeah, the good guy armory or good guy army, so to speak. And basically, General Morden shows up, and he take he tries to like capture all the new recruits. So all the prisoners that you're saving, they're not just like random skinny bearded guys like in all the <laughs> other Metal Slug games. You know, they're they're just other recruits, so just like you, which is really cool. So this game is a little bit different as far as the gameplay goes, and I, I'm gonna be honest, I actually prefer this over the original Metal Slugs. Uh, at least in terms of how you play the game. Gameplay-wise, it's it's pretty much the same as the other Metal Slugs in the sense that it's a run-and-gun. So, you know, yeah. we're doing run-and-gun games. 
So you go from left to right, you know, sometimes you have to go up, you know, down. Multi-directional. Yeah, multi-directional. But uh, the difference is, it's no longer one hit kill. Now there's a bar of life. Yeah. And I kind of prefer that because when you die, it's just like you, it just takes so much out of you. And even though you're starting off right, like right away, it never, it never feels challenging to me. It never feels like when it comes to Metal Slug, I never feel like threatened because I always know that it's unlimited continues. Because most of my Metal Slug experience, aside from playing a couple of them in the arcade or, you know, at my local, like, Pizza Hut restaurant. Gross. <laughs> gross. Most of my experience for Metal Slug has been on consoles. My yeah. first Metal Slug game that I ever owned was Metal Slug X, actually. So, I don't know. I just, I, I prefer this because it, it gives you a little bit more challenge. There's a possibility that you could die, and if you die, you have to start over or you have to start at the checkpoint. Yeah. And so it's it's it 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 it's just different. I don't. Know. I have mixed feelings about it. You know, I would. I'm such a big Metal Slug fan that I, I feel like it should be a one hit kill because it's just the way that Metal Slug games are. Sure. Why would you do this to Metal Slug? But at the yeah. second hand, you're zoomed in more on the character. There's less gameplay screen on right. the Game Boy Advance That's true. version, so it's a little easier to get hit. Plus. You know, if you're not playing like on a on, on the Game Boy Player or on the GameCube or something like that, if you're playing on a handheld without a backlight or something like that, it's going to be a lot easier to get hit because the bullets aren't big and garish and they could blend in with the background a lot more. So, I guess it would need to be a little more forgiving. So, eh, you know, we called Lilo and Stitch Metal Slug Light. This is like truly Metal Slug. <laughs> this is the official Metal Slug Light. Yeah, except I believe it's one hit kill in Lilo and Stitch. If I recall. I... Oh no, it was three hit kill. Three there hit. were three three bars of life. Yeah. yeah. So so this is very similar to Lilo and Stitch. So if you like Lilo and Stitch, this one's a little bit more pricey, but it, it is worth uh, worth it to pick it up. There's a card system where you can basically, if you save the hostages, they give you items like you know bread or you know canned soup or you know just various different items, and they give you a card. And the whole point of the game after you actually beat Thanks the game... Thanks for rescuing me. Here's a card with Here's bread on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so after you beat the game, you're pretty much going for the card collecting. And so there's a ton of okay. replayability in the game to be able to unlock all these cards. So there's 100 cards that you can collect throughout the game. So it's it's pretty cool in that sense that you can you know keep playing afterwards. It's not like the other Metal Slug games where it's like once you beat them, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Cool stuff. All so, right. Good track. Good game. What's next? Next up is Time Soldier. This is the Amiga version of the game. This came out in 1989. The name of the track is World Wars by very popular composer Alistair Brimble. Let's give it a listen.
Welcome back! That was Time Soldier on the Amiga. That came out in 1989, and the track was called World Wars by Mr. Alistair Brimble. I don't know. I wasn't feeling this game or this... I don't know, the track was okay. It went all over the place. Yeah. I mean, it was cool that it, it had places to go. I just... I wanted a little bit more of a lockdown on sound, and I kind of feel like there was just kind of... It was, it was more open-ended than I wanted it to be, audio-wise. Yeah, it's a, actually a pretty long track, and uh, knowing the game, because I've played it quite a bit, not, not too, too much, but the levels really aren't as long as the track is, so those kind of other, almost more industrial-sounding pieces towards the end, you might not even really hear in the game that much. Yeah. Uh, it's a top-down game, and the world doesn't auto-scroll, so you you kind of pick the... As, as you walk up, the screens kind of scroll with you, but it's not like you would be sitting around on an empty screen doing nothing for too long. So, yeah, you know, I, I feel like maybe he just was feeling the song himself and just kind of decided to put some other pieces in there. The game itself was a port of Sega's arcade game called Time Soldiers. And this right. is Time Soldier, so there's a little bit of a difference there. And uh, the arcade game only used a very simple monorail-like sound chip, so it didn't really have that, that much music to begin with anyway. So I think these are all original compositions from, from Brimble, maybe loosely based on some of the melodies that were in the original game, but I think he mostly did all of them himself. Yeah, the game itself takes place in various different time periods, like, uh, you know, ancient Rome, you know, like the dinosaur primitive locations during like, uh, you know, like World War, like the World Wars, like World War One, World War Two, and then the Age of War, and then Future World, which I assume is just a future location. It's the world of the future. Whoa. Yeah, actually this got ported to the Master System as well, but that one you actually only have three continues, which it's a little shocking in a uh, yeah, in a yeah. game like this, and there's no like ABBA code like in Akari Warriors. And again, <laughs> this is like a pretty much a direct ripoff of Akari Warriors. You know, it's a shame because I really don't like Akari Warriors. Like, it, I I think it's slow. I think it's awkward. And I was never a fan of, of any of the Akari Warriors games. Yeah, me neither. But. I don't know. I, I like the mechanics and the structure of Akari Warriors. I just always felt like Akari Warriors was just too slow for me. On the NES, yeah. I yeah. mean, the arcade version was much more smooth and much oh, was more it? playable. Okay. Yeah, I've only played the NES yeah, version. Yeah, no, the NES version, uh, I'm brutal. sure you've seen the Angry Video Game Nerd yes. video on that. I love that it video. It tears it apart, and it's it's deserved, because oh, yeah. it's, it's a really, really difficult game because of how it was made. Yeah. But anyways, back to Time Soldier. Yeah, so you, you travel through different time periods. I like it because... It's not like it's the same tile sets over and over again, and it, it kind of keeps it fresh. The enemies fight you using different weapons, and they look very different, and they use different armaments, and sometimes they even they use accurate formations. Like soldiers will come at you like in groups, like you know redcoats would or, or right. knights would, and um, the British are coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know it was kind of like his, historically accurate, I guess as historically accurate as you can get for an arcade game. Right, right. But it did kind of feel like you were actually in those time periods as you were as you were battling your enemies. Cool. So worth checking out. The uh, the Amiga version is pretty good, but the arcade version is definitely the best. Word. All right, let's move out of future world and into more future world. <laughs> This is Gunlord on the Neo Geo and Sega Dreamcast. Uh, this game came out in 2012. This track is called Stage One, and it's by Raphael Deal.
my god, that was Gunlord. So good. <laughs> Dreamcast, Neo Geo, 2012 is the release date. Stage one was a track by Mr. Raphael Deal. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. We'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. let's, why not? Oh my God, such a good track. Fell in love with this track. This is like the musical version of somebody saying, Chris Holzbeck, will you marry me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right then. Well, no, I mean, it sounds Turrican, you know? Oh, the yeah. The game is basically a love letter to Turrican. Oh, totally. This music is a love letter to Chris Holzbeck's Absolutely. soundtrack, so. Oh. Man, where do I start? Let's go with the bongos. Love the bongos in the beginning. Yeah, why not? (laughs) I love bongos. It's just so good. Just like you got that harmony kind of going with the with those main synths. The da, 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 da. Yeah, very rich sound to those synths. Yeah, really good stuff. And then the bongos kick in and you're like, where's this track gonna go? And it's got these sweeping kind of synths that come in and then they kind of layer on top of that like some really amazing harmonies like a they, they put in that lead synth harmony where there's a different octave level, and it's just that that kicks it up a notch for me. I'm just like, <laughs> dude, throw in anything where an octave goes up or down yeah, along yeah. that main lead like synth, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm yours. Yeah. That's it, man. I've, I've been playing a good amount of this lately, and the first stage is pretty darn long. It's I haven't been too. able to make it through, but in, in all of the times and attempts I've made to get through this, at the beginning part of this game, I never once got tired of this track. Oh, no. It's, it's just totally amazing. You know, it's game music as it should be. It keeps you going, which is really cool. The game's story is actually a continuation of a previous game that NG dev team created called The Last Hope, where you play as a uh, gunship with a pilot by the name of Vanessa Gaiden. So it basically takes place at the end of The Last Hope, and so Vanessa Gaiden, even though she escapes and she, you know, wins in the end, she never makes it home. And so her husband, who is no, named is Gordian Gaiden, <laughs> is is essentially looking for her, and he's not finding her. But meanwhile, there's this super baddie called the Master that shows up to, you know, rain havoc on the world, on the galaxy, so to speak. So he basically is like enslaving humans as they describe in the intro cutscene. Just kind of like what the machine does in Turrican. So it's very kind of parallel to that. Very true. Uh, Gordian Gaiden has to try to see if he can find Vanessa. He's like, where's Vanessa? So he's got to go out and search for her. So he jumps in his Gunlord suit and uh, goes after the master. His Gunlord suite. It's Gunlord Sweet. Yes. Well, because there's all sorts of English. That's not English. Oh, right. I, I don't know whether they're intentional or not, but there's a whole bunch of like misspellings in the first. Yeah. Oh, it's, the it's really is funny. Kind of funny. Yeah, the intro is great. Yeah, he gets into his, his Gunlord Sweet instead yeah, of yeah. his Gunlord Suit. <laughs> yeah, the intro is really cool. The gameplay is just awesome. It's really cool stuff. It To me, it feels a little slower than Turrican, though, especially Mega Turrican, if you yeah. compare it with that. But of course, you never know what the other levels are like. Oh, we yeah. Been there yet, yeah, we so. haven't been there yet. I haven't gotten past the first level. There, but. there is a level select <laughs> cheat code that you can use. Well, or don't not, do that. But, you know, I don't want to do that. <laughs> don't. No. Bad Ed. Bad Ed. He's like, I'm not going to do gonna it, gonna but do I'm going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. But, man, just the game soundtrack is fantastic. Interestingly enough, these games don't, because they're more homebrew style yeah. games, they're, 
They're unofficial yet kind of official for Dreamcast or Neo Geo. They're made by professional releases. developers, but Correct. they're not licensed by Sega or SNK exactly. for the Neo Geo or the or the Dreamcast. Right, but I would say that they're pretty much official. They're as indie as indie can get. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, they're, uh, they're discontinued systems, so right. they have the right. You know, they can put whatever they want on there. I guess. Yeah, I they, don't know. they tried to port it to the Wii U and the 3DS, but unfortunately, they canceled the project, and then it was going to come out for the Coleco Chameleon, but that was canceled. <laughs> so it's not even getting into get that. Talking about no, that. no. But as far as the game, it released in multiple different formats, which uh, NG Dev Team is very famous for, and so I, I really like the limited edition cover on this. It's uh, really cool. For a physical collector, it's it's definitely a cool thing to get. There's also all these like posters and stuff that you can get too. So there's there's a lot of really cool stuff that released with the game. For me personally though, I'm not gonna drop on eBay $150 for a cover. So yeah, I just printed the cover. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel bad about it one Go day. Go ahead and do it. Yeah, man. I give you permission. All right, thank you. Thank you, <laughs> sir. May I have another? <laughs> So no, yeah. one copy of Gunlord is enough. That's true. Yeah. Good stuff for Raphael Deal. He is a German composer and he Just mainly like Holzbeck. Yes. He mainly worked with NG Dev Team. He's done a bunch of stuff for remixes such as uh, remix sites like Remix 64 and Revival ST, but the first game that he put sound to was Last Hope. Yep. He's also worked on uh, various different PlayStation Network games like Soldner X, I believe is how you yep, pronounce it's a, it. It's a horizontal shooter. It's really good. Yep. Yeah, there's a couple of those. There's Soldner X Himmistulmer <laughs> and then Soldner X2 Final Prototype. He did Last Hope, Pink Bullets, and Last Hope. Fast Striker, he did the voice sound effects engineering for. Uh, the last chapter, Gunlord, and Rainbow Moon. Yep, which I and he's Rainbow Moon was the last game. Well, they just announced that Deal will be composing the soundtrack to NG Dev Team's next game, called Krautbuster. Okay. If Gunlord is a love letter to Turrican, Krautbuster is a love letter to Metal Slug. It's Ooh, another run and gun game. Sweet. So he's gonna be. Uh, I think his first track just came out on the trailer to the gameplay for that game, and it sounds really good. So I'm really looking forward to. Crowdbuster when that releases. Very cool. Awesome. All right, let's get into our last track oh of the show. Man, I'm excited. This one's a doozy, and it's one of our favorite games. This is Broforce, came out in 2015. This is the Broforce theme song by the band known as Strident.
Oh my god, my head hurts. Welcome uh, back, that was Broforce! Yes. <laughs> Broforce released on many different systems, PS4, Xbox One, Steam in 2015. That was the Broforce theme song from Strident, a band from Cape Town, South Africa. All right then. You like this track? Oh, I love this track. I am shocked. I know. This is power metal. Yeah, well, This I is know. like straight up power metal. But it's so well done. Oh, it's good stuff. I mean, you know, most power metal stuff is really high production. Yeah, yeah. Just weedly, squeedly, meedly guitars. Very big focus on, like, minor tones and harmonies, melodies, just really good I th stuff. I think the vocals are what really got it. Like, I love the, the composer of the, the whole soundtrack on a whole. His name is Dion Van Herden. And so he sings, plays guitar, he wrote the songs. The rest of the soundtrack in this game is very kind of cinematic. It's kind of almost ambient with really, really thick, like right. pounding, almost like taiko <laughs> drums. Like, Well, I mean, most of the sound that you're hearing is just explosions well, yeah, throughout the yeah. entire game. It's, it's kind of a cheeky, tongue-in-cheek shoot 'em up that you're going through as these various different characters. Bros. Yeah, bros. They're all like movie characters that have been changed to avoid licensing, you know, issues. Well, yeah, they're parodies of the characters. Right. So, you know, there's Brobocop and the Brominator <laughs> right. and uh, the Brodoc Saints, yeah. uh, which I have my favorite guys. Brodoc. Who else is in there? There's uh, There's Ellen Ripley. There's, yeah, uh, Ellen Broby, Bro I forgot what they call Bro her. Broby? I don't know. I don't know, but they, they, it's not just dudes. It's, yeah. you know, it's female heroines and, and, and male heroes and the whole environment that you play in. So it's a side-scroller. And the graphics are, you know, pseudo 8-bit, so they're, they're pixely, but they're, you know, definitely enhanced. And if you kind of imagine how Minecraft is, where everything is made up of, like, destructible blocks, but some are not destructible, right? that's the way this game is. So you, anything you shoot pretty much disintegrates. Yeah. But they make sure to leave enough indestructible blocks so that you can jump from place to place so right. that you don't, you know, totally get lost just by shooting a rocket launcher at the wrong thing. Lots of enemies, they explode in like fountains of gore. Oh yeah. And it's great for multiplayer because you can, it, it, you, you, you rescue hostages along the way that are in cages and you get a random bro every time that you enter the cage. Right, so, like, like uh, there's a lot of characters in the game yeah. that you can unlock. And your character switches to that person that you rescue. So then all of a sudden you're like Will Smith. From uh, right. from, from uh, not independent state. Bro from, in black. Yeah, from, or whatever. From bro in black. Yeah. Or uh, men in black. I'm getting confused here <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> so if you die on the level because it's hard, the next time you go through it, you might have a different bro when you rescue somebody else. So it might be easier for you with that person. It's just the gameplay. The gameplay is so deep. There's like 60 or 45 different bros that you can get. They all play differently. They're all fun as hell to play with. The yeah. artwork is fantastic. It's a I silly love game. This game. It's a silly game. It doesn't take itself seriously. Not at all. But at the same time, it's a pretty deep, rich experience. Yeah, so yeah. It's good stuff. I've played game. played all the way through it myself. Oh, really? One thing I wanted to mention is when you beat a level, whoever is the last person to grab the, the helicopter ladder, you get whisked away and you just hear this awesome, like, you know, uh, tapping guitar solo and there's, like, explosions everywhere oh, yeah, the, as the you're The level blows up behind away. you as you right. fly away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the best part is is on the PS4 controller, if you look at the light on the back of the controller, it flashes red, white, and blue. Yes. Like, it's so good. It's just so goofy. I love it. Lots and lots of fun. Good stuff. All right, so that brings us to the end of our Run and Gun episode, episode 65. We want to thank you guys so much for listening, and we want to talk a little bit about, uh, before we end, some 
couple plugs. Yeah. yeah, a couple plugs that we're working on here. Yeah, so we were actually uh, just a couple days ago. We did the uh, recording for uh, we were guests on Rhythm and Pixels, another VGM podcast, and that's hosted by Rob and Purnell. And uh, we had an awesome time. Yeah, they were great. They do episodes like they were video game levels. They do one, 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 two, one, three. Right. So this was uh, episode four dash one. So we did video game music from level four of games. That was right. our kind of like our, our, our mission. So uh, we picked a lot of cool tracks. They also play some remixes and covers from like stuff you might find on OC Remix. So they did some of that. So they were great guys. And we're going to plan to have them on our show in the near future. So Definitely. that will have been released, let's see, June 27th, I believe that came out. So a couple, couple, about a week and a half ago. So yeah. go back, check out the Rhythm and Pixels lineup, and you will see our episode, episode 4-1. Give them a listen. And, you know, if you like them, subscribe to them because they're, they're great guys. They do a good show. Agreed. I was also a guest on the Bloodstained podcast, which is hosted by our good friend, Mike McDaniel. So we will, uh, you definitely want to check that out as well. You can also check out the Bloodstained forums where you can chat about Bloodstained. Uh, Basically, if you're a Castlevania fan, you're going to love this because we talked about the demo that recently came out for Bloodstained. So definitely check out that podcast because I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, he's otherwise known as a Zombie Mike online. You might right. see him, a zombie with an X. So he's he's definitely a good guy, definitely worth checking out and supporting his stuff. So Agreed. Yeah, he Hi, does Mike. A great, <laughs> he does a great job over at Bloodstain, so go check that out. As always, thanks again for listening. You can check out the rest of the podcast or other episodes at pixeltoonsradio.com or on iTunes where you can give us a rating and give us a review. Let us know how we're doing and what you'd like to see on the podcast or what your thoughts are on it. Totally. Also, check out my other side project, Impulse Project. Uh, That's with my friend Brian from Pixelated Audio. We do demo scene music and you've got your video series as well. YouTube.com forward slash Dongled where you can check out Dude, You Haven't Played This Game. I'm in the midst of releasing a ginormous Tomb Raider series of episodes. So definitely check that out. You will not be sorry. Think you'll enjoy it quite a bit. Awesome. I'm gonna go home and play some Gunlord. That's right. And not use the cheat code. And don't use that I'm cheat code. Not gonna use the cheat code. I'm telling myself I'm not gonna use the cheat code because Don't do it. I feel like I wanna use the cheat you code. You need to experience the whole game. You need to help me. I need to help no, you. No, no, no. Do you I'm, want me to hold your hand just, just like in the call? I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna like call you in the middle of the night. Yeah. Like Mike, Mike, I feel like I need to use the cheat code and you're gonna just gonna talk me down. Yeah, yeah. Out of it. Don't do it, man. Because Step away from the ledge. I will get through it on my own. I, 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 on I can my own. All by myself. <laughs> All right, boys and girls, stay tuned. Two weeks, a mystery episode will be revealed. I still haven't picked it, uh, but we'll figure out he something. He hasn't unlocked it yet. Yes. Yeah. All right, thank you again for listening, guys. We will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Peace.